The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome, welcome. Nice to see you all. Here on a Monday night, on a rainy day. Well, it was rainy earlier. So I'd like to start uh, tonight's talk by sharing a short little story that ended up having a big impact on me and I didn't quite appreciate the magnitude of the impact until quite some time later. This was uh, back when I was working in corporate America and I remember like just being upset or angry or you know I don't remember the details but I just remember being upset about something that you know somebody had done. And I was telling my friend I was complaining. And I was saying yeah well you know this person said this and and because that person doesn't like this other person then they sent this email and because that email happened, then this other person came to my office, and you know, like all this kind of stuff, you know, all this stuff happening. Because this happened, that happened, and you know, this. And I had a whole story of why it happened. Well, this person thinks that they know everything, therefore they did blah. This other person never pays attention, therefore they did blah. Or, you know, some, I was kind of like attributing, like, you know, all those uh, motivations or something like them, something like that to these individuals and why I was being, you know, poor me, poor Diana, (laughs) this bad thing happening. And my friend, like, bless her heart, she said, wow, that's quite something, Diana. (laughs) So let's see if we can come up with another story as the same facts. This person said that you got an email and somebody was in your office. I'm like, what do you mean, another story? No, this is what happened. This is the truth. It's not a story. This is what actually happened. She said, okay, make three other stories of what happened. I'm like, well, I don't understand. She said, well, let's just make it up. How do you know that that person didn't send you an email because... Uh, they had just got really bad news from home and they were upset because somebody in their family is really sick and that's not, maybe that's why they sent you that email, not because somebody had said this and did all that kind of stuff. I thought, oh, I didn't really think about that. I was kind of thinking I had it all figured out, like why something had happened. And just this recognition of like, oh yeah, there are like, we could say facts, there are events, measurable, objective events that happen, but then we try to make meaning out of them. We weave them together. Of course we do. This is what humans do. Of course we do. And uh, there's this person, Kim Hamblin Hart. She's a life coach. I don't know her. She has something written on the internet that I thought was really great, and I'd like to share this. She talks about the same thing, about uh, how we can like make different stories that, uh, uh, based on you know our experience. So again, this is Kim Hamblin Hart. It's not me. 
But she says, let's assume the fact that my mother, Kim Hamblin Hart's mother, um, was distant and unhappy. That was just her experience of her mother while she was growing up. Her mother was distant and unhappy. And she lays out, okay, well, what are some different stories that she can make about this? And here is how it goes. My mother was distant and uh, and unhappy. She didn't love me. And because she didn't love me, I am unlovable. This is a story we could make. My mother was distant and unhappy. She was broken and incapable of giving much love. And I didn't get the type of love I craved, but I am worthy of love. And I'm worthy of belonging, regardless of my mother's inability to love me. It's another story. There's a third one. My mother was distant and unhappy. It was because of something I did. I am responsible for her unhappy life. I need to do everything I can to make her and those around me happy. Another story that could be said. There's a fourth one. My mother was distant and unhappy. I didn't get the love I needed. She ruined my life. I can never be whole or happy because the love I was denied as a child. It's another way we could interpret this. My mother was distant and unhappy because I didn't have a model of how to interact emotionally. I can't get in touch with my emotions and express them in a healthy way. And I can't change. Here's another story. My mother was distant and unhappy because I didn't have a model of how to interact emotionally. I struggle with my own emotions. However, I can learn and grow and figure out a way to get in touch with my emotions and express them in a healthy way. Let's see, how many of these are there? One, two, three, four, five, six. Wait, I lost count here. Six or seven? Six. Six different ways to interpret this. Like one thing, my mother was distant and unhappy. I just love this, right? Because we probably all know people, maybe we are one of them, that like have kind of like adopted a story around their what happened to them when they were younger. And this recognition of like, oh yeah, the same facts, quote-unquote, we could make a whole bunch of different stories. And there's something terrifying about this, and there's something beautiful about this, I would say. And so I'd like to talk about this idea of, you know, stories and making stories. And this one of like this list of however many stories I said, we don't want to say that one is right and one is wrong. That's not at all what we're talking about here. That's like irrelevant whether right or wrong. They're just something that we might, a way which we might interpret to make meaning of our experience. And some of them are more helpful than for us to have a big, full, rich, beautiful life. And some of them are less helpful in that. 
helpful, unhelpful. We're not talking about right or wrong. I don't want to go that direction. But I think there's a way in which whatever story that we adopt, whichever story that we believe, becomes a truth for us. It's a way in which we view the world, in which we interpret our other experiences, the way that we um, expect some cap- our own capabilities, what we are capable of, what we're not capable of, what we can do, what we can't do, whether the world is safe or it's unsafe, or these types of things. And so we might ask a little bit, well, what, what is this uh, story? And there's a way in which humans we are, there's a way in which we're kind of like driven to make sense, to make meaning of our emotions and our experiences. This is what humans do. And I remember being on a long retreat, many months, and uh, just the mind getting just really quiet and just starting to see like, oh yeah, there'd be a thought, and then like maybe like a physical sensation, Maybe like uh, some, like another like physical sensation, and then I could just kind of like watch how oh yeah I was tying all these things together to make it mean something. But I also noticed that that making the meaning is extra. Actually, it doesn't have to happen. We feel this. Uh, we feel pulled to do it, and I'll talk a little bit about why. But. It's actually, we don't have to do it. We don't have to uh, make a meaning and then believe it and hold on to it and say this is true. Instead we can say, well, this is kind of what makes sense to me right now. This is my provisional understanding. This is my hypothesis. This is what makes sense to me at this moment. As opposed to saying this is the truth. This is how it is. And then not even thinking about it, just assuming that's the truth and then, you know, continuing on just with that assumption that might not be so helpful for us. So there's a way in which we want to make meaning and these meanings are expressed as our beliefs, our perspectives, our attitudes, our biases, our mindsets, our views, all these things kind of get influenced by these stories, the ways that we're, we knit together experiences to make a narrative. And we might say that these stories that get created and that turn into beliefs and perspectives and views are a way in which we are, how we like evaluate or judge experiences, things, people, the way that we justify our behavior, all of these are from the stories that we have. So there's this way that uh, the stories kind of have implicit, like, this is good and that's bad. This is better, that's worse. And so much of our life might be constricted by this idea of this is good and that's bad. I can do this, I can't do that. I'm good, I'm bad. And not recognize that those are based on experiences that we had. And I'm using this word story that we created, this meaning that we created out of it. And I would say that much of what we take as you know culture and civilization is about these stories. Because this is what humans do. It's not a 
like I said, it's not a problem. So there's a way in which, you know, our personal stories, but we also have societal, cultural stories. So it's a big part of what we can say of maybe what civilization or culture is, is part of this collection of stories. And we might even say that, like, these days, in these uh, modern contemporary times, there's a way in which we are often kind of like stuck in our stories. The way is we, as a, maybe even as a culture, where you could say that we are as committed to our stories as ever, maybe even more. Like we are holding on to them so tightly, refusing to even. Uh, entertain the idea that in fact they might be stories but in some ways we're so involved with uh, our stories and we can see this showing up in so many different ways the ways in which social media is uh, a some people what they post right where there's platforms specifically designed for this so you can have a curated story that people think about you and there's a way in which you have this story about yourself that you're going to show the world in order to be a good person or valuable person, lovable person. I need to curate what I'm going to show, and therefore this is what's uh, going to be there and I'm going to put on social media. Or maybe there's this way in this conspiracy theories these days, right? That's a way in which people make stories and try to make sense of events in a way that makes I don't it makes them feel better in some kind of way. And then these conspiracy theories, like even though there are different uh, conflicting information, somehow these conspiracy theories really can take a hold. And people will kind of like, you know, issue things uh, that doesn't support them. Identity politics is a part of this too. We versus them, us versus them, me versus you. I'm like this and you're not like this. You're like that. I'm like that. You're like this. Whatever it is. It's part of this way in which we, as a community, as a culture these days, we're really tied, um, holding on tightly to our stories. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's partly because we get, are getting exposed to so many different stories. Maybe they're then earlier than we did. I'm sorry, differently than we did. Like if we think about a hundred years ago, I mean, just the internet didn't exist, so we weren't as exposed to so many different stories, and we probably were just um, surrounded more often by people that were similar to us. So the whole di- idea of story maybe didn't even make sense. But there's this way in which the story promises like truth and certainty, which kind of like promises like some security, like, oh yeah, okay, this is true. I can rest here knowing this. I don't have to have any doubt. I don't have to wonder about things. I can rest here. I can feel secure. I can feel safe here in this story. And so we want like, big stories that like explain everything it's kind of frightening to think like this doesn't make sense wait I I thought things were this way and turns out they're another way again I can speak from my own experience many of you know I'm trained as a scientist I worked as a scientist for quite some time 
spent my days in a research laboratory wearing a white coat, gloves, test tubes, the whole thing. And then, you know, I had like some glimpses of something that I, that uh, some and some meditative experiences. I'm like, oh, that doesn't fit in my worldview. <laughs> and it was a little bit uncomfortable. Not a little. It was very uncomfortable. Like, wait, hmm. How, 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 do, how do I hold this? How does this make sense? And you know, here I am these years later. I'm no longer working as a scientist, <laughs> but here as a Dharma teacher. But it's uncomfortable. So we want stories that promises truth and uncertainty, but you know, these, the promises never deliver. They never deliver because this truth and this certainty that we're looking for doesn't isn't showing up in the way that we would like it. We want things to be like constant and reliable and always there and things change. We all know this. Or the part of us always know this, but there's nothing that's like always reliable. Somehow we want like to know the master story, that's the one true story that's going to explain all the other stories. And we might even say that essential to this master story is the denial that it's a story. This like integral of this master story, like no, 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 this is the truth. It's not a story. And then, so what is the story that Buddhists have about stories? Of course, Buddhists aren't immune from this either. It's a bunch of humans. So the stories that Buddhists have about stories is that you shouldn't be deluded by stories. That's the story that Buddhism has. That is, don't, uh, don't believe everything that you think and in fact, there's a way in which we can see through the beliefs, we can see through the subtle narratives and the obvious narratives. And Buddhism talks about, and especially in this tradition, talks about, uh, right, some of you may have heard this really f- story that gets uh, told a lot, which I actually really like, where the Buddha says, well, the Dharma, that is like the teachings, is like a raft. It can take you from, if you're here on this shore of this water, where it feels uh, scary and uncertain, and you can have the sense that over there, on the other side of this raging river, or whatever body of water it might be, is, will be some safety. And you have this sense like, okay, if I just get over there, it'll be safe. And the Buddha is saying, there is some Safety, it's not the way that we think it is, but the Dharma is a raft that we can carry it, or sorry, it carries us the other side. But when we get there, do we think like, wow, this raft was really helpful. Okay, I think I'm going to take this with me wherever I go, and we put it on our shoulder and just carry this raft around wherever we go on the land, you know, carrying the raft, right? No, that would be silly. So this recognition that even the Dharma takes us to the other side, but even something like that, we can't really, 
we can't hold on to. It's not the there always in a stable, constant way that we may sometimes wish. And there's a way in which recognizing, as I said earlier, that things are stories, that we have narratives or views. There's a way in which this can be really frightening, but it also can be really liberating. There's a way in which it can help bring us some freedom. Because this, there's a way in which we have this... Um, some of the stories that we use are like who I am as a person. I'm the one that's like this. I'm the one that's not like that. I said that I was trained as a scientist and I worked as a scientist. That's a little bit different than saying I am a scientist. So this, sometimes I used to definitely think I was a scientist through and through. But then to recognize, no, I was trained and I lived that life, and you know, but that's different than just taking it on board or that I'm a Dharma teacher. Sometimes I sit here on Monday nights, give Dharma talks. Other times I'm not a Dharma teacher, I'm a grocery shopper, (laughs) dishwasher, vacuumer. (laughs) these types of things. So we all have um, identities that shift and change. Some of them move, shift uh, really slowly over time. Maybe some of them shift really quickly. But there's a way that um, David Loy, who is a Zen teacher, he writes, one meaning of freedom is the opportunity to act out the story I identify with. One meaning of freedom is the opportunity to act out the story I identify with. I appreciate this very much. I identify this way and this is how I want to show up in the world. But there's not everywhere in the world where you can do that. But that's a one type of freedom to be able to do that. Another type of freedom is the ability to change stories and my role within them. So this ability to move from like a scripted character to a way in which kind of like the co-author of my life. And who are the other authors? Kind of like society and our communities. So another way of freedom is to ability to change the stories. And then here's a third type of freedom. These are all freedoms. A third type of freedom, this is what the Buddhists are pointing to, that results from understanding how stories construct and constrict my possibilities, the possibilities that I think for myself. They construct and constrict Sometimes we might think, well, I'm a person like this, therefore I can't do that. I'm trained as a scientist, therefore I'll never be a great artist. Who knows? I haven't tried it yet. There's a way in which the, you know, the stories we make them, as I was talking earlier, 
based on facts, things that actually happen, but sometimes they are constricting us in ways that we don't even recognize. And so there's real freedom to recognize, oh yeah, there's a story that's getting created, and maybe it's a story that helps uh, support me, but maybe there's also a way in which it constricts me. So we just hold them lightly. We just hold them lightly. Instead of insisting that they are the truth. Because the truth is very often the stories don't really help us in the way that we want them to. I mean, they might help us keep our like life on keel or or in an even keel or something like as we're making sense of our experiences. But they seldom offer like new insights about how to understand the world or stories seldom offer greater clarity. Instead, it's just, you know, a story that we made up about something. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't offer much well-being. There's just a way that, they, there's a way that's kind of like diminish us. And there's a way in which stories, they really bubble up or they really kind of make themselves known or get created or constructed in a way when we're feeling agitated, when we're feeling unwell or bothered or disturbed. Stories show up when we act out of habit. Well, I need to do this because I will will always be like this because my mother was unhappy and didn't love me or something like this. But here's something that when we get lost in the content of our stories, we stop being present for what's actually happening here. Stop being present for the experiences that we're having right now. And there might be a way in which we're thinking like, okay, well, I'm waiting for some experience to be worthwhile to pay attention to. Why not this moment? Why not pay attention to this moment? It turns out real freedom is here. If we're always waiting for the perfect conditions or as soon as that other thing happens, just right now is good enough. There can be some real ease and freedom that arises if we are just paying attention to this moment and this moment and this moment. So what are some ways in which we can see these stories that I am pointing to? There's a few ways. One, if you're doing a meditation practice, doing mindfulness of breathing, this is a common practice. A lot of people do. I do this. I often teach it. There's a way in which we often can um, have this feeling like I'm breathing and it feels like this, like this is just, there's a sense of like, I'm breathing, as opposed to the sense of breathing is happening. There's a way, and sometimes we say like, it's raining, but we don't really say, what is raining? We just say, it's raining. That's a, kind of like the way we're describing the weather pattern. So is there a way, instead of putting a self at the center, can we say, it's uh, breathing is happening. Instead of saying, I'm breathing. 
This is a subtle difference that I'm playing with language here, but it can be really powerful. And there's this story that um, was, I'm trying to remember this, uh, Jack Petranker, that he is quoting uh, somebody else when he's talking about this idea of how the stories that we make so often have ourselves at the center, and the selves at the center turns out not to be as... It tends to be one of the ways in which we constrict ourselves. So, as I said, Jack Petranker um, points to something that's a naturalist, Barry Lopez, and he was on this journey with some indigenous people up in the north. And he's describing how he uh, would work with an event versus the indigenous people. If my companions and I, for example, were hiking and encountered a grizzly bear feeding on a caribou carcass, I would tend to focus almost entirely on the bear. My companions would focus on the part of the world of which at that moment the bear was only a fragment. My approach was mostly to take notes of objects in the scene, the bear, the caribou, the tundra, a series of dots that I would try to make sense of by connecting them all with a single rigid line. My friends, in contrast, had situated themselves within a dynamic event. Their approach was to let it continue to unfold, to notice everything and to let whatever significance was there to emerge on its own. So you can see how the person who's speaking here, Barry Lopez, he's like here observing the bear, the carcass, the tundra. Like he's located himself in one location. Everything else is out there. Whereas the indigenous people are are just, this whole thing is unfolding themselves were part of the experience that was unfolding. And they were allowing what was significant to emerge. Like, this is, this is what's happening right now. As opposed to saying, making a story, and like, okay, that bear killed this caribou, and that happened, and that happened. And kind of like removing themselves, but and there's a way in which removing themselves is also the way in which they make themselves the center, because... Everything is like from a distance to the self, that bear, instead of this experience, that caribou, instead of whatever is happening here in the future, if anybody's listening to me rather than uh, <laughs> watching me with my hands, what I'm saying, this, I'm trying to like gesture, I don't know, like how would I describe this? Like uh, including my physical body as well as all the space around me is kind of like this as opposed to there's only this physical body and everything else out there is separate. So one way we can notice how we tend to do this is even with our meditation practice just to play around with language and just to say like breathing is happening and to just notice the experience. Instead of having this real sense of, I'm breathing, I better meditate, 
how how I've uh, how am I doing? I've been doing this for ten breaths. I used, yesterday I only did it for eight breaths, so I'm doing better. You know, something like that. Just to be with the experience. And maybe there's a way in which, because um, sometimes we might say, and I teach this way sometimes, because it can be helpful, but it also can trip us up. Like sometimes to have this sense of like, okay. I am going to place my attention on the breath. But that again is kind of like making a self at the center. So that's one way we can notice the stories is just uh, notice the subtle ways in which we can, we make ourselves a center. And often how we're doing that is making things be objects where here's this, the self is the subject and others are the object. Another way, a very different way, is there's a way in which uh, stories have this uh, linear temporal continuity that is, you know, A led to B, led to C, led to D. That's a way in which kind of like stories unfold. This is part of what makes them delightful and fun and gives us maybe a little sense of security. But if you look at your experience... Experience. I'm not talking about thinking about it. I'm talking about experiencing. You'll notice that, though, let's say, let's come back to like this uh, idea of breathing. Notice a breath. Notice another breath. Oh, yeah, I have to remember to take the clothes out of the washing machine. So <laughs> that's a little thing about the future. And then, uh, oh, yeah, a breath, another breath. Not like that time I left them in and it got all mildewy and that was horrible. And the little flash to the past. <laughs> and then, you know, breath, the ear breath. So if we are twi- if you like, can get a little bit settled and pay attention, you'll notice that our experience actually is filled with the past, the future, the present. I'm talking about experiences, right? I mean, logically, if you were to talk about, of course, you know, we would say this one person is moving through time in a linear way. But our experience isn't really that way. And if you really pay attention, you start to notice all these discontinuities, and that kind of like starts to poke holes in this idea of a continuous story. And it can be fun and interesting to even just notice, like, oh, okay, that was a past. Wow, that was in the future. All that planning I did. Wow, I was doing that for 20 minutes, planning that thing, and, or something like that. And then, but now I'm back here in the present. So just to notice kind of like the shifts in between past, present, and future that happens in these minds of ours. And there's a way in which looking at uh, even this whole notion of what I'm talking about, story-making, even to consider it or think about it or practice with it is really different than any other practice that we might do. I shouldn't say any other practice, but often with meditation practice, we have this idea, okay, we're going to focus on settle on an object. It's often how we talk about it. The breath, a sound, a bodily sensation. There's a way in which we like focus on this. But 
learning to engage with and notice with the stories that we are inhabiting is not so easy. It's not the same kind of way. It's not a way in which we can focus to it. Instead, because stories are complex and multidimensional, there's a way in which um, it encourages us to just engage with our life and to notice kind of like these little quiet thoughts that are happening. To notice some of these repetitious um, ways in which we are constructing, I keep on using this word, stories, views and beliefs. So it requires more of like an openness and rather than trying to search and find them, it often can just have an openness and recognize, oh yeah, there is this recurring way in which I consider myself or consider others or which I'm trying to make sense out of my life, what happened earlier. It's not easy to do this. It's not something that happens fast. It's not something that, oh, okay, that was interesting, I'm going to try it, and I expect I'll get it uh, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, or, you know, just if next morning, I, next time I sit. But this is where real freedom is. To notice and to see through the stories that we have the beliefs that we have, the stories about ourselves, about the world, about others, how things should be, how they are. Again, I'm not saying throw them out. I'm saying hold them lightly. Be curious about them. Are you sure? How sure are you about all these stories that we have? Just Here's just an invitation to Plant a little seed of doubt about our stories. And it's quite something because in some ways we might say Buddhist practice is need to have enough like faith, we might use this word faith or confidence, to do the practice, listen to Dharma talks, meditate, whatever it might be. And we need to have enough doubt that we're not like holding on to everything like, yes, finally I found the truth. I'm going to be happy from now on. I got it. I know when I first got introduced to the the Pali Canon, it's kind of like the, the Buddhist literature, early Buddhist literature, scriptures, I was so convinced, like, okay, if I can just read enough in here, I will find all the answers. I even like learned Pali. I started translating. I'm like, okay, I'm sure the answers are in here somewhere. The answers weren't there the way that I thought they would be. They were there because, I don't know, there was something that just made me happy to be looking at them, what was in there. And there was a way in which when I started to see that things weren't neat and tidy, I realized, oh yeah, this idea of neat and tidy, that's another story I have, that things need to be neat and tidy. I need to understand them. They need to be completely comprehensible. But there's a way that unsticking from our stories is a path to greater ease, greater well-being, 
greater peace, just unsticking from them, not completely abandoning them, but being open to new stories, different stories. And with that, I'll end and I'll open it up to see if there's some questions or comments. Hi. Um, It's kind of a comment. I've thought a lot about the stories I tell myself. And for some reason, when I think about that, I have some happy, what I consider important stories that I tell myself. And when I see those as just stories, it, it really, it feels very light. And I... I still like those stories, and and I don't know. It's sort of a gateway for me to see my other stories, which you know I have some stories I really cling to more negative stories. Um, So anyway, that's all. Yeah, thank you, thank you for sharing that. And also, right, just because we're making stories doesn't mean that the emotions aren't real or the events aren't real or those types of things. So the happiness that we experience, right? That's real. Those are real experiences. I just, um, I neglected to say that earlier. And then when you were saying, I thought that uh, you were going to say, when you think that there's stories, it makes you sad. But you were saying that, so you're touching into maybe feeling like the lightness well, that's lightness, possible. Less, less clingy. Yeah, less clinging. Thank you. It's fantastic. Thank you. Anybody else have a comment or question? I think we can move the microphone down. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. How can we, in a word, how can we stop telling ourselves stories and start to see things as they really are? I don't think we can stop telling ourselves stories. This is what humans do. We try to make meaning of our experience. I think what we can do is hold them lightly. And so part of that is um, maybe, I'm trying to remember, there was this phrase that um, somebody told me a long time ago that I used to use that was really helpful, something like uh, something along the lines of, am I sure, or do you, is that right, is that true? Like at the end of each statement that we see, just like, and just asking that question, we might not know the answer. But asking that question kind of like opens it up. Like, okay, yeah, it seems like this right now, but I'm not 100% sure. So that's one way. Thank you. Maybe a completely awakened person doesn't make stories. As soon as I'm completely awakened, I'll let you guys know. <laughs> Any other comments or questions? Okay, well, thank you for your attention, and I wish you a wonderful rest of the evening and safe travels home. Thank you. And if you have any comments or questions that you'd like to come up here, you're welcome to come up and talk to me.